ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Welcome back to Two Judgy Girls. I'm Mary from the Bay. And I'm Courtney from LA. TJG is the podcast where we spill all the tea on your favorite reality TV shows, celebrity gossip, and everything in between. We're here to bring you our unfiltered opinions, hilarious commentary, and plenty of laughs along the way. We're two SDSU Delta Gamma sisters with a microphone and a whole lot of opinions. Each week, we dive headfirst into the wild world of reality television, from Bravo to all the trash TV you could want. We break down the drama, dissect the latest scandals, and share our thoughts on everything from the jaw-dropping moments to the embarrassing antics. But that's not all. We're not here to just gossip. We're here to connect with you, the jurors, and share our love of all things pop culture. Whether we're dishing on the latest celebrity breakups, discussing our favorite guilty pleasure movies, or sharing embarrassing stories from our own lives, we promise to keep it real, keep it fun, and keep you coming back for more. Come judge with us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. The latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome tonight. A major crackdown on compliance, the new police operation as Sydney's case number balloons. Help is on the way. The PM fast tracks extra vaccines and financial aid. Stage shows suspended and sporting events cancelled. The billions of dollars lost from Australia's entertainment industry. And the Queen's star turn as she visits the set of Britain's top soap opera. But first, New South Wales Health has tonight revealed a troubling find. Traces of COVID have been detected in a Sydney wastewater catchment where there are no known active cases. People in 32 suburbs in the city's northwest are now on alert. Earlier today, the Premier announced 38 more COVID cases, the biggest spike since the start of this outbreak. 20 of those were infectious in the community at some point. There are 40 COVID patients in the state's hospitals. 11 are in ICU, three are on ventilators. In the coming hours, New South Wales Police will launch a major COVID crackdown in Sydney to stem the surge in cases. We've been at this 18 months now. We know what compliance is. We are making it abundantly clear. We now need to really look at ourselves personally and ask ourselves, are we doing the right thing? In large part, people are trying. There are some who are not. Tom Sager is live for us in Sydney with more details. Tom, what can you tell us about this police operation? Well, Ange, from tomorrow morning, police will be deploying uh, 100 extra officers to crack down on COVID non-compliance from 7am. They will be focusing on southwest Sydney in particular, those three local government areas of Fairfield, Canterbury-Bankstown and Liverpool, looking at mask wearing and anyone outside their home without a valid excuse. Officers from Traffic and Highway Patrol the dog squad, Polair and the mounted unit will be involved. Officers from all over Sydney, they'll also be focusing on uh, areas outside of southwest Sydney, in particular on transport hubs to make sure the virus doesn't get exported outside of Sydney. Police have already been very proactive when it comes to non-compliance in COVID-19. Uh, Yesterday alone, they handed out 56 infringement notices, a number which will inevitably rise after this police operation commences tomorrow. Ange? Yeah, no doubt. And Tom, you've got the latest on a long list of exposure sites and also more on this troubling find in a wastewater catchment. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, New South Wales firstly uh, updated that list just a short time ago. There are 11 new venues on that list uh, which you are considered a close contact if you visit any of them, which means you have to isolate for 14 days regardless of the result. Those suburbs that those venues are in are Smithfield, Marylands, Burwood, Wetherill Park and Auburn, by no means confined to uh, southwest Sydney. Also, worryingly, as you say, New South Wales has also detected traces of COVID-19 in wastewater in the Baronia Park sewerage network, which services 32 suburbs, including Parramatta, Gladesville and Ryde, hundreds of thousands of people where there are currently no known active cases. Ange? Okay, Tom Saker in Sydney for us. Thank you. The Prime Minister is being accused of giving New South Wales preferential treatment, fast-tracking hardship payments and extra vaccines for the state. Here's Scott Morrison. To all those other states and territories and people in other places, um, I know that they are relying on Sydney to be able to get on top of this as we must continue to work to do over this next week and potentially beyond. Uh, but I can assure you that the Commonwealth Government and the State Government will work hand in glove to achieve that result, not just for Sydney, uh, but for the entire country. Jennifer Bishwati has more for us from Canberra. Jen, we've heard the PM there spinning this as a move to help the entire country. Are other states and territories buying that? Well, and no direct criticism so far, no complaints from the state premiers. This extra support is just for the third week of lockdown and other states didn't lock down beyond two weeks following the end of JobKeeper. And if they do, they will be eligible for this extra support. But as we heard there, the Prime Minister is saying that uh, the escalating situation in Sydney does not just impact the New South Wales economy, it affects the entire nation. He also so uh, said that he was open to extending support depending on how long this lockdown goes for, Ange. Jen, there are also more vaccines on the way to Sydney. That's right, Ange. 300,000 extra jabs of both Pfizer and AstraZeneca to go to southwestern Sydney. Now, the other premiers might criticise this move. They'd be wondering why they're not getting extra jabs, given that the federal government has so often said supply remains a big issue. Also today, the Prime Minister has said those people, well, older people in lockdown areas who've had their first AstraZeneca jab, to get the second one sooner. The medical advice is to wait 12 weeks uh, between jabs, but in some circumstances can go as early as eight weeks. We spoke with the Medical Association today who says that eight weeks is perfectly reasonable. The main thing here is to get as many people vaccinated as soon as possible, Ange. OK, Jen Bashwadi, thank you. Queenslander Anthony McCormick made a mad dash home from Canada to see his dying mother, but she passed away alone in a Brisbane hospital three days after her son began his time in hotel quarantine. She can't look at me uh, as she's going through those last moments. And, and that's, the, that's the brutality of, 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 of these so-called compassionate, you know, policies. To lose someone so close is just awful. I mean, we all lose relatives. It's, it's, it's not nice and it's not nice during a pandemic. Alex Lewis joins us from Brisbane with more on this. Alex, this is a disgraceful situation. What happened? Oh, it really is heartbreaking, Ange. Anthony's mother was diagnosed with cancer three weeks ago. He got on the first flight he could back from Canada. He wanted to fly into Brisbane, but it was in excess of $15,000, so he flew into Sydney instead. He wasn't vaccinated, 
but he had tested negative before his arrival. He arrived on Monday, he had his exemption request in, he was working with New South Wales authorities who helped him book a charter flight to Queensland the next day, but on Monday night he received an email from Queensland Health, a very short email advising him that his exemption was denied and that his case was closed with no explanation whatsoever as to how they came to that decision. Then by last night, it was too late, his mum passing away here at the Martyr Hospital. This comes just three, a few weeks after Mark Killian and his wife were granted an exemption to farewell his dying father on the Gold Coast. Queensland Health says that they were working with Anthony but ran out of time, blaming the hundreds of exemption requests. The Premier says that they've employed more staff to try and reduce uh, and to help them get through those requests, but uh, that's little comfort to Anthony, who's tonight grieving alone in quarantine. And Okay, thanks so much. Alex Lewis. I'm joined now by Deakin University's Chair of Epidemiology, Professor Catherine Bennett. Thanks for your company, Catherine. Now, today, as we've heard, the Prime Minister urged people in hotspots to only wait eight weeks to get their second AstraZeneca jabs rather than the 12 weeks originally recommended. Some experts say that that could reduce the vaccine's effectiveness. What are your thoughts? Look, we do know the longer the spacing between doses, the better the immune response. But this is weighing up the risk um, when you're at an immediate risk of potentially contracting the virus, then it's much more important to get that second dose because that's where, after a couple of weeks, you're much better protected from serious illness and hospitalisation. So that's the priority now. The longer term immunity we can look at with boosters down the track. At the moment, it's about trying to get those people with the best cover possible. The New South Wales Premier predicted more cases today. That's what we got. Right now, the state's lockdown is in place for an extra week. Is that enough? Well, hopefully. This, this is still contained or controlled, if you like. It's not closed down, but we're still seeing numbers under 50 as a relief because if this was out of control, this would be taking off much faster. It's the half of those cases today that were people who they still weren't able to identify as cases until they'd already had a few days in the community at least when they were infectious. So that's what they're working hard to uh, get on top of. If we can slow down this uh, transmission in the community, stop households mingling, make sure that people are identifying any exposure sites really quickly and getting tested, then it could turn around still reasonably quickly. It's still manageable. That's the key thing. But it's, it's those numbers to watch, not the overall numbers. They will keep bouncing around, but it's particularly those numbers where they talk about people who are either partially or uh, in, in quarantine when they're infectious or, more importantly, when they're infectious out in the community. You want those numbers to go right down. So can I ask you, is there a magic number? Do we need those to be zero or what do we need for uh, the lockdown to be lifted? Well, if they're not zero, they'd have to be very close to zero. They'd have to actually understand that that is part of a cluster, but that that is contained. We've just heard the story of a Queensland man whose mother passed away while he was in hotel quarantine. It's just awful when we hear these stories. It's not the first. Is there a safe way to allow people like this to be able to see dying family members? Yeah, we've had too many stories like this, haven't we? I think where family members are terminally ill and someone's come all the way around the world, um, and often it's been a very difficult 
uh, path trying to actually get to Australia to be so close but to not be able to spend any time with them is really difficult. We saw this recently with people who are fully vaccinated. The, the risk is so low, particularly if people have already tested negative and if they've been in quarantine for a couple of days and still testing negative, then, then the risk can be managed. I think we just have to get this right, the balance between compassion and infection control. You can actually make this work in these extenuating circumstances. And I really like to see that happen as a matter of course, rather than people having to put in for special cases every time. I think once you put in um, a request that it should be looked at, and I'm sure there are ways we can make it work that's still safe, that allows those families to be together. I think most Australians would agree with you. Okay, well, thank you as always, Catherine. Thanks, Angie. Health authorities have found a Western Australian woman's death from a blood disorder was likely linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine. Investigators made the finding based on a lack of evidence of other causes and the timing of the 61-year-old's death last month. The woman was also experiencing a viral illness that investigators noted theoretically could have caused the disorder. And in breaking news tonight, the Australian newspaper is reporting the government has secured a deal to triple its access to Pfizer doses from the 19th of July. The deal with Pfizer will reportedly provide Australia with approximately one million doses a week. That's three times what has been available in recent months. Victorians are being urged to avoid any travel to New South Wales as the state considers stricter border measures. Tegan Doling is in Melbourne for us tonight. Tegan, how concerned are Victoria's health authorities? Very concerned, Ange. Our health minister delivered a real dire and strong message today. He's saying that Victorians should not be heading into New South Wales, and that's because the concern is so great in terms of the numbers, the COVID numbers that we are seeing in Sydney. Now, at the moment tonight, as it stands, the only red zone uh, is Sydney itself, but Martin Foley has said that that could actually extend to the entire state. He also hasn't ruled out as stricter border measures or even shutting down the border, like he's done before. Do not travel to New South Wales. Uh, the risk grows and the threat grows and having worked so hard to get to this level that we have in Victoria, question. we do not need Victorians entering and coming back from New South Wales. And there's also a lot of concern as well because our school holidays actually end uh, at the end of this week. So there's going to be a lot of travel, uh, return travellers coming back from interstate. So there could be a little bit of an issue if that whole state of New South Wales does become a red zone. And, and just a little bit of comparison compared to this time last year, Victorians were actually locked out of New South Wales because we had started to go into our second lockdown after our second outbreak. So it's a a bit of a role reversal at the moment. Yes, indeed. And you're right about school holidays. It could cause chaos. Thanks so much, Tegan. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com.
Victoria has officially put the brakes on both the Australian Formula One and MotoGP, two blockbuster events which come at a serious cost to the state's economy. Network Finance Editor Gemma Acton joins us now. Gem, what will these cancellations cost Victoria? Well, and the best estimate at the moment is around $1.8 billion. Now, remember, these are both enormous events. The team alone for the F1 is looking at around 1,800 people in terms of both team members and officials. They need accommodation, they need meals, they need transport. And beyond that, you have the hosting fee, which is in the tens of millions of dollars. And, of course, the events which go alongside it. And they're often very flashy, extravagant events and all of the hospitality that goes with that. The bigger concern is, will this uh, make the F1 organise think twice about hosting this event. We're locked in until 2025 with the event in Melbourne. After that, it really could go anywhere. Uh, a real shame for Melbourne, apart from the obvious, they've also just upgraded their, their facilities, so they would love to do it. But there are so many other cities in the world that would gladly snatch us out of our hands. Yeah, absolutely. Also, next year's Australian Open, it's dependent on the vaccination rate. Can Victoria afford to not go ahead with it? So the direct economic impact of this is estimated to be around $400 million, but this is looking at exactly the same problems that they're facing when it comes to the, the, sporting, the, the motor sporting events insofar as what's the vaccination rate and can they guarantee a non-two-week hotel quarantine strategy? And at this point, they just can't. And although a year ago when they had the Australian Open, or not even a year ago, Players didn't mind so much because they hadn't seen other cities successfully pull off events. Mm. Now that we've seen there are other ways to do it, you can restrict crowds, you can have negative COVID tests, you can ask for people to be fully vaccinated, you can have players, like in Wimbledon at the moment, moving around in their own little bubbles. So there'll be a lot less tolerance this time around for putting up with two weeks hotel quarantine, which must be terrible for an athlete who's mm. about to go in to play such a major tournament. Uh, so again, looking at whether... They are able to go ahead with it and uh, if this will have ongoing impact on the event being played in Melbourne. Yeah, the whole world's opening up and we're not. Um, it's not just uh, sporting events, also the performing arts, they've taken a hit. Yes, uh, tragically, the, the, the stage productions here of Hamilton and Come From Away, the musicals, uh, obviously temporarily closed in Sydney. Uh, really devastating. I, I was lucky enough to see both and just the, the raw talent of the cast and, and everyone behind the scenes, just incredible. Uh, when they are not not playing uh, the 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 cast are effectively stood down with no pay which is completely understandable because no producer is going to take the risk of putting on a production it's just far too costly if they have to bear the wages bill when the curtains aren't up because there's no revenue coming in so to get these performances off the ground you, you need to have those sort of agreement in in the enterprise bargaining contracts uh, nonetheless incredibly difficult for those people and so many calls from the live events industry for more support. I think they lost around 95% of their revenue last year as an industry. If you're in a lockdown, there's very little else the industry can do to make money. So uh, still hoping for some more support to come through to them. Yeah, indeed. OK, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Ange. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has officially launched a Royal Commission into veteran suicides. Former New South Wales Deputy Police Commissioner Nick Caldas will lead the inquiry. An interim report is due in August and the final report in 2023. More Australian veterans died by suicide than were killed on active duty since the ADF deployment to Afghanistan in 2001. Two Victoria police officers have been treated for minor injuries after their vehicle flipped at Dandenong. They collided with another car at a busy intersection last night. The driver of the other vehicle escaped injury and was interviewed by police. 
And remember these wild scenes from an Adelaide court? The man Daniel Nicholson said he couldn't cope with the news when he heard he was going to jail for setting fire to a hire car. But in trying to flee the courtroom, he lengthened his prison stay. A judge has ruled he stay behind bars until March if he behaves himself. There was a coronation of a different kind for Her Majesty the Queen today as she visited the set of Britain's favourite soap, Coronation Street. Europe Bureau Chief Hugh Whitfeld is live for us in London tonight. Hugh, the Queen seemed in high spirits. And they really did roll out the red carpet on the famous cobbles of Coronation Street in the fictional town of Weatherfield, which is actually a studio lot in Salford to the west of Manchester. The soap is still incredibly popular here in the UK and the Queen had a chance to chat with some of the cast and crew. This year marks Coronation Street's 60th anniversary. The Queen has actually visited Coronation Street before, albeit 39 years ago, to mark the soap's 21st anniversary. And that was alongside Prince Philip, of course. The Queen has been very active in the last couple of weeks, obviously up in Scotland and now in Manchester for a visit uh, there today, including a stop by the Manchester Cathedral to meet with uh, local uh, community groups. The Queen, though, did seem very impressed with Coronation Street that they managed to keep filming during much of the pandemic, of course, while Her Majesty has been locked down at Windsor Castle. And Hugh, the Queen looks pretty sprightly there. No sign of a hangover. I take it she wasn't celebrating all night, all night like the rest of England over the footy. Yeah, a few sore heads here in London and right across England, maybe even in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland as well. Thousands of people out on the streets here in the capital uh, overnight uh, and in live sites right across England. 66,000 fans were inside Wembley, including Crown Princess Mary of Denmark, along with her husband, Crown Prince Frederick, and one of their sons. Uh, that Australian slash Danish support couldn't get the Danes home. England winning in extra time. 2-1. Harry Kane kicking the winning goal from the penalty spot uh, with a second go uh, from the penalty spot, in fact, to get past the Danish goalkeeper, Kasper Schmeichel. There is some controversy following the game. Uh, it was a penalty uh, after Raheem Sterling went down. A lot of questions about whether or not he was even touched by a Danish player. And also an investigation now by UEFA after a green laser pointer appeared to be pointed at the uh, Danish goalkeeper when he was preparing to defend the goal from that Harry Kane uh, penalty. Mm. Now, there were big crowds, as you can tell from the pictures, out on the streets. There are still 32,000 cases being recorded here each day of from coronavirus. The government is allowing these live sites to continue and another 60,000 people to be inside Wembley for the final on Sunday when England will take on Italy, if they do win, it'll be the first time that they've won a major tournament since 1966. In fact, Ange, they haven't even played in a major tournament final uh, since then, 55 years ago. So that's why there's so much excitement here in England that maybe their football team can really bring it home, as the song keeps reminding us. As they say, and it's kind of been salt in the wounds for so many years, but it might actually happen. And, you know, I'm happy for them. They've had a long, long, long few months. Thanks so much, Hugh. And Indonesia's health system is at breaking point with a surge in COVID cases. More than 34,000 people tested positive yesterday. 1,000 people died. Hospitals across the island of Java are running out of oxygen, beds, even staff. Australia has sent 2.5 million AstraZeneca doses and will pay for 1,000 ventilators. 
Just two weeks out from the Olympic Games, Japan has declared a state of emergency and a decision on whether to ban spectators from events is expected within hours. The move follows a surge in COVID cases in the capital, 920 in the past day, and the Delta variant is spreading quickly. The state of emergency comes into place on the 12th of July until the 22nd of August. The Olympic torch relay arrives in Tokyo in a few hours but has been pulled from public roads. Haitian police have arrested four suspects over the assassination of the president. Jovenel Mohiz and his wife were ambushed in their home at Port-au-Prince. The first lady is in hospital after being shot in the arm. The president's five-year reign was plagued with allegations of corruption and widespread anti-government protests. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Now, Gemma Acton's back with a look at the markets. Well, Ange, almost a clean sweep of red throughout the region today. There's been a lot of pain in Chinese-listed stocks this week. And today we saw that extend further afield, with Hong Kong's market particularly hard hit. Local indices, however, squeaked through to a positive close after losing almost all of their earlier gains. And it's shaping up to be a pretty bleak open on Wall Street too, with all major indices looking to shed up to a percent in early trade. The oil price continues to retreat following the collapse of the OPEC plus cartels discussions earlier this week. While the decline in the Aussie dollar has accelerated, it's now sunk below 74.5 US cents, with no sign of the downwards momentum quickly reversing. Ange. Thank you, Gemma. Sir David Attenborough has joined the fight to save the historic Flinders Pier on the Mornington Peninsula. Authorities are planning to replace part of the structure over fears it will collapse. It's currently home to the weedy sea dragon, a species that the famous conservationist is keen to protect. Sir David has sent a handwritten letter lending his support over concerns the demolition could endanger the underwater habitat. Australia's oldest Olympian celebrated his 100th birthday today. Frank Prohoda was born in Prague but represented Australia at the 1956 Winter Games in Italy. After that, he moved to Threadbow, where he has lived ever since. Frank was still skiing until he was 90 and he says the key to life is to be adventurous. I had a good 47 years in Threadbow. It was almost half of my life the longest in one place and and I enjoyed it. Uh, it was a blessing. Thank you for your company this evening from the team here at 7 News. That is the latest. I'm Angela Cox. Good night.